Good evening, everyone. Trust you had a good day today. We're having a little technical difficulties, as seems to be so often the case with these sorts of things, so you'll have to excuse us a bit. So I didn't want that to be up here just yet, but we'll work with what we have. So don't look there just yet. Look here until we get there. So I wondered... Um, if any of you were watching the weather forecast, it seems like sometimes Winter Bible School brings out sort of the worst in the weather. And as I was, uh, as we were driving in yesterday, Jane and I were talking about five years ago and wondered if, if we were remembering what happened five years ago when we had to cancel Winter Bible School completely. There were four funerals here in one week that week. Um, Annie Byler's funeral, I think, was here on Saturday and... Ben Laps Mary's funeral was on Sunday, and Monday evening, uh, my mother-in-law, Jane's mom's viewing, was here Monday evening. We were supposed to be having winter Bible school five years ago. Now we're thinking that Steve. Okay, I wanted to talk to you to see try to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, and just be going to go over this series of, and... Um, took five evenings, um, similar to what we have this week, to discuss just this. So, obviously, we're not going to cover this this evening, but we're just going to go through it pretty quickly. The spiritual gifts, as we talked about last evening at the very end, are special attributes given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace for use within the context of the body. And as I mentioned last evening, throughout the book of, the, of Acts, uh, not only do we see missions, but more importantly, I think, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. And obviously, missions are not going to happen without that being the case. And in the book of Acts, it talks about people being full of the Holy Ghost and um, then the, the gifting that came with uh, that. So the gifts are given by the Spirit, distributing to every man, uh, as the King James says, uh, individually, just as He wills it. Given to everyone as He wills it. Every Christian receives a spiritual gift or gifts. Distributed to every man, verse 7 there in the King James Version says, as He wills. And no one has all the gifts, and there's no gift that everyone has. At the end of the chapter, Paul asks those rhetorical questions. Are all prophets? Are all evangelists? Are all teachers? And, of course, the implied answer is no, no. But everyone will give account. Everyone will give account of how he's used his or her gifts. And we're going to get to that a little more specifically here at the end of the session this evening. The primary purpose of the gifts is the edification of the body of Christ. Read 1 Corinthians 14. That's what the whole chapter is about. And Paul's problem with the Corinthian church is that they are particularly misusing the gift of tongues and they're going through the motions of the spiritual gift of tongues and they're not edifying the church. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says uh, that he speaks with tongues more than they all. But he would rather have five words that people could understand in the church 
rather than thousands in a foreign tongue that nobody understands. The purpose of the gifts is to edify the body of Christ. So I have a couple of um, versions here uh, because I think the, the King James um, says the manifestation of the Spirit is given uh, to, to, to profit with all. And that with all word sometimes kind of throws us. Uh, the New King James says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The NIV, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The spiritual gifts are to edify, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now we have the tremendous example of our physical body. There is no excuse for any of us not to understand how the body of Christ is supposed to work. Because we are walking around in a perfect example. Every one of us knows enough about how we feel and how our body works together. We know this. There is no excuse for us not to understand how the gifts are supposed to function in the church because we're walking around in a physical body. There is not a single part of a healthy body that works for the good of itself alone. There is no part of your body that goes out on its own and does its own thing when your body is healthy. There is no part of the body when your body is healthy that acts individually. There is no part of your body when your body is healthy that acts out of the context of your physical body. It can't and it won't. There is not one single part of a healthy body that is useless or unnecessary. Not one. The Bible talks about comely parts and uncomely parts. And that's an interesting um, set of verses there. But there's not a single part of a healthy body that's useless or unnecessary. Just because we don't know what something's for doesn't mean it doesn't have a purpose necessarily. And any part of our physical body that's not functioning and productive is a problem. It either gets discarded or it's cancer. Our body has to work together, does work together, and that's why we feel good. That's why we're healthy. And, and we have that example. So we, we understand how this is supposed to work. We have no excuse not to. When Christians using their gifts causes confusion, strife, or disorder, they deviate from the primary purpose of the gifts and they're out of place. Verse 40 in chapter 14 uh, says that all things are to be done decently in order. Verse 33 says God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So sometimes um, our humanity enters into our using of the gifts. And sometimes our pride enters into our using our gifts. And sometimes our passions are misdirected and enter into our using of the gifts. 
And we need to understand that when, when there's not, when, when we are causing confusion and strife and tension and those things, disorder, then we are simply out of place. Now, Ananias and Sapphira is an interesting story. Now, you discussed this in Sunday school. And I, I hope you discussed why God was so harsh with them. And there's a variety of different answers. But I think there's two possible reasons, maybe more than two, but at least two possible reasons why Barnabas was to fire. I think there's maybe the he got to go with him is that they did it. Maybe they were to the point that some of it. Our spiritual gifts are not to draw attention to ourselves. And I think we understand that Ananias and Sapphira's sin was not with the church. Their sin was against whom? The Holy Spirit in particular. They were sinning against the Holy Spirit. They had lied to the Holy Ghost. And they were dealt with severely. Our gifts are not to draw attention to ourselves. There is only one person that the Holy Spirit ever draws attention to. And that is whom? Jesus Christ. Let's get that right. Let's get that straight. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. To draw attention to Jesus Christ. And he was busy doing it in these chapters and Acts. And when the apostles were healing, and when they were doing miracles, and when they were casting out demons, and all these mighty works that it talks about in the book of Acts, Jesus Christ was being glorified. That was clear. There was a couple of examples in the book of Acts, and um, I'm sorry, Simon, chapter 8 being one of them, that decided they could make a lot of money doing this. And they were dealt with severely. Later in the book, you have the seven sons of Sceva. You know that account. Didn't work out well for them either. Our gifts have nothing to do with financial gain or any profit for ourselves. Only the body of Christ. And when, when you see people claiming to use gifts or trying to use gifts for their own benefit, that is, that is proof that it is not the Holy Spirit working. Members acting carnally or insensitively. Christians acting carnally or insensitively. That needs to be corrected and redirected. Young, inexperienced Christians need discipling and example. Now, one of the things that we have to remember about the spiritual gifts is that they're not like natural talents. Let's not confuse them with natural talents. They need to be developed. Just because a person has the gift of, of serving doesn't necessarily mean that they're especially good at it right away. A person who has the gift of exhortation is the same. A person who has the gift of teaching, a person who has the gift of, of even prophecy. Especially young Christians, young people 
or young Christians, they need, to, they need a little time to develop their gifts. And the only way you can develop a gift is to use it, right? And we as churches, we have to be understanding of that, and we have to allow for those things to take place. And so sometimes we have to be satisfied with maybe a presentation that's a little bit choppy from a person who is a little inexperienced. And I think we are, and we understand that, and we need to be gracious and give young Christians time. Mentoring was mentioned last evening, and I appreciated that. Um, We'll get to the story of Apollos. So you have this young preacher whom Ananias and Sapphira kind of came up alongside and, and corrected. They taught him the Word of God more perfectly. Do, do you hear the tact in that? They didn't set him straight. Well, they did, sort of. But what Acts says is that they, they taught him more perfectly. Now, young people, what you should be thinking about in the story of Apollos is that here was a young man full of the Holy Ghost and passion and energy and fire doing his thing and somebody comes along and says, you know, you don't really have this right. And they corrected him and he apparently took it. And learned and profited and became more effective. Mentoring can only happen if it's a two-way thing. And if we are too proud and too haughty to, um, to take mentoring or correction or exhortation, then we don't profit from it. Two more things here. One is uh, we need to beware of gift exaltation. Now, these verses in chapter 12, verses 22 to 25, end with that there should be no schism in the body. And these are the verses that talk about our comely and uncomely parts. And according to Paul, our uncomely parts have more abundant honor. It'll be interesting to discuss that uh, sometime when we get to it in Sunday school. It's in 1 Corinthians, I don't know when we get there. It is exceedingly dangerous for us to put one gift ahead of the other. Even Paul, when he compares the tongues and prophecy, and he talks about prophecy being better, the reason he's talking about prophecy being better is because prophecy would edify the church and the way they were using tongues was not. So he was saying that prophecy is better on the premise that it's benefiting the body of Christ, that it's building the body of Christ. But when people are using whatever gifts they have to build the body of Christ, we have no right to claim that one is better than the other. The other thing we have to be careful about is gift projection. And we've heard this probably. So let's say the person who has the gift of intercessory prayer has a topic in church on prayer.
Well, that's a recipe for and, and he does it guilty of times. And the reason that he's gifted you And it's especially effective for you because of that. So we need to be careful about that. We don't browbeat other Christians into thinking that if they would only evangelize like we do, the whole world would be evangelized in however many years. That, that those, kinds of, those kinds of thinking, that kind of thinking is not, um, is not right, is not productive. The gifts are to be exercised under the umbrella of accountability of the brotherhood. And this is pretty clear uh, in these chapters of 1 Corinthians as well. One speaks in tongues and another interprets. Chapter 14, verse 29 to 32, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And I don't have a reference for uh, letter C here, but um, I think this is shown clearly in the book of Acts. Accountability, spiritual agreement, and brotherhood are a strong threefold cord. Now, if you examine that and think on that a little bit, accountability, spiritual agreement, and brotherhood, are those not the three ingredients, if you will, of community. You cannot have spiritual community without those three. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, if you're not already there. And I know you know this, or I think you know this, but I want to make sure that we get it. 1 Corinthians 13, and I know Dave Stolzers has preached this from this very pulpit. 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. It is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. That's where 13 falls, between 12 and 14. So you have chapter 12, a chapter entirely on the spiritual gifts, begins and ends with the spiritual gifts. You have chapter 14, a chapter on the spiritual gifts, begins and ends with the spiritual gifts. And in the middle, you have chapter 13, the love chapter. There's a reason why it appears there. Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, and their church was kind of a mess. And there were a lot of things that needed corrected. And there were people that were zealous uh, and there were people who were doing what they thought was the right thing. And here he's reminding them. And keep in mind that in the first couple verses here of 1 Corinthians 13, he's listing spiritual gifts. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, that's a spiritual gift, and understand all mysteries, that's a spiritual gift, and all knowledge, that's a spiritual gift, all faith, spiritual gift, and so on. If you have all these spiritual gifts and you are not exercising them with love, it's worthless. It doesn't do us any good. It doesn't build the body. We have to learn how to love each other. The Holy Spirit wants to work among us. 
The Holy Spirit will work in times and places of need. The Holy Spirit has empowered us with what we need to build the body of Jesus Christ. But it has to be done with love because of whose church we are trying to build. There's a lot more could be said about that, but like I said, we have to move through this kind of quick. I think we should at this point look at a summary of the um, spiritual gifts that the Bible lists. And again, I wanted to kind of this to come up in sections, but uh, here we have it, so let's just look at it. 1 Corinthians 12 lists wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment. Um, some people call it the distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Then verse 28, you have apostles teaching helps and administrations. Now, some, some of these terms, uh, we use different terms for the same thing. So you kind of have to wade through some of that. Romans 12 then lists ministry, which uh, service, exhortation, ruling, which we often call leadership, and mercy or compassion as well as giving. And then Ephesians chapter 4 lists evangelists and uh, pastors or shepherds. Most people, I think I would include myself in, the, in that most people, I think that it's very, very possible that not all the li- gifts are listed in Scripture. Some people have added the following, celibacy, um, remaining single, writing, uh, intercession. I mentioned that one already, intercessory prayer. I, I don't think there's any question that there are some people that have a gift for intercessory prayer. That's just it's one of their passions, and that's not, that's not listed here um, in Scripture. Some have um, suggested that voluntary poverty is a spiritual gift, where you have a person with a great deal of money, perhaps, but that person lives simply and nearly poor in order to just give enormous amounts of money. Now, that, of course, would be part of giving. Some have suggested that martyrdom is a spiritual gift. Martyrdom, that would be one you would just use like once, right? Well, if, if there is such a spiritual gift as martyrdom, I think probably Paul had it because he, he simply wasn't afraid to die. Now, you're going to get to that account in the book of Acts where he was stoned And they gathered around him, assuming that he was dead. And the next day, he was on his feet, headed for the next mission field. You figure out what happened there. You discuss it in Sunday school class, see what you think. But I've learned, I've suggested, I think, um, in the tap coming on them, about this at Charles Tabernacle. And there's even um, a verse, I wish I could, I wish I'd have uh, written it down. It talks about the Spirit of the Lord coming on the women to, um, to do something with goat's hair. I forget what it was. But they, they were building stuff for the tabernacle and they were full of the Holy Ghost so that they could do it. And uh, there was a man called Bezalel that was incredibly uh, gifted in craftsmanship. There you go. Leading in worship, some have suggested, is a spiritual gift 
as well as deliverance or exorcism, particularly casting out demons. And maybe that goes along with, with discernment. I don't, I don't know. Did you discuss in the book of Acts or even when we were going through uh, the Gospels, Matthew, how many times they cast out demons? Did, and did you wonder what in the world was going on back then that was so many people um, that were demon-possessed? One of the things I want to mention here, and I, I don't want to take just too much time with this, one of the things that we have to remember, though, is that we, we cannot confuse the spiritual gifts with Christian roles. Now, we are all to be people of prayer. We are all to be servants. We are all to give. We are all called to offer hospitality. And so this business of, well, I can't do that because it's not my gift, that kind of thinking, is that, that just goes out the window. All Christians do certain things. All Christians have faith, for instance. I think we understand that these spiritual gifts are special attributes given to us by the Spirit to be particularly effective in uh, certain areas. We also dare not confuse the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is an evidence that comes out of a life that is being lived full of the Spirit. And all of the Spirit fruit is for all Christians. I want you to turn your Bibles. Well, you don't actually have to. We're going to talk about the parable of the talents. This is in Matthew 25 and in Luke 19, sometimes called the parable of the pounds. <clears throat> now in this parable, Jesus uses words like talents and pounds, which were units of money. He refers to banks and interest. And I am amazed as we discuss this. And we, and we discussed this in Sunday school. You did too here because we, we, um, we, we discussed um, Matthew before we got to the book of Acts. But I am amazed how often when we talk about the parable of the talents, we talk about money. When Jesus told the parable of the sower or of the soils, he used words like sower and seed and soil. Did that mean that the parable was about farming? Well, is, is it about farming? I wonder sometimes how we would interpret the parable of the sower if Jesus hadn't done it for us. The parable has absolutely nothing to do with farming. It has to do with the kind of hearts that the Word of God enters. And I'm just going to come out right out loud and say that I think that the parable of the talents has very little to do with money. I tried to get this across in our Sunday school class at Trauger, 
And it lasted about 30 seconds before we were back to talking about money. Now, I understand that you can make some applications. But here's why we have to be really careful. If this parable is about money, then we should all be investing like crazy and making as big a pile as we possibly can. Interpreting this to be about money justifies investment and accumulation. At the end of the parable, the Lord told the servants to take the pound or the talent from the one that had one and give it to the one who had ten. And they said, Lord, he, he hath ten pounds. And the Lord said, Unto everyone that hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away. You know what that means if this parable is about money? Let's be careful. Let's suppose that I have a really good year. And at the end of the year, I have $10,000 that doesn't really have a designated place to go with it. I don't, I don't know how that feels, but let's suppose that happened. So there's this $10,000 that... And I decide, for whatever reason, that I'm going to take it in the backyard and dig a hole and bury it. How many of you think that would be a sin that would be punishable in hell? I don't think there's any single one of us that would. But in this parable, that third servant was damned to hell. So I suggest that we figure out what this parable is about. I think it could be a couple of things, but I'm going to strongly suggest here this evening that this parable could be about spiritual gifts. And it is in that premise that I'm going to continue the rest of this session here this evening. Let's understand this business of servants and stewards in the day that Jesus was speaking. Serve masters for their own themselves. That's what could be said about here. Why take his one talents? And he says this himself, I was afraid. I was afraid. For I feared thee, Luke says. Now he was afraid because he was out of relationship with his Lord. And he admits this. He said, I thought, I knew thee that thou art an hard man. Luke call, uh, says, an austere man or a severe man. I knew thee that thou art a severe man. Now, was that true about the Lord? And I strongly suggest to you that it was not true. This servant was out of relationship with his Lord. And when we discuss this parable, sometimes we say, well, he was afraid to invest his money because he was afraid he was going to lose it. That's not what he was afraid of. He was afraid of the Lord. He was out of relationship with his Lord. He was lazy. 
And the Lord said this. The pronouncement upon him was that you are a wicked and slothful servant. You are lazy. And fourth, he was unconcerned about the kingdom of his Lord. He was not interested in taking that talent and making it useful in the Lord's kingdom. Now keep in mind, it wasn't his talent. It was given to him by the Lord. It was nothing that he had worked for. But he wasn't about to use it to further the Lord's kingdom. Now for all we know, and I'm, I'm supposing here now, so I'm, I'm embellishing a little. For all we know, this servant was out late and just parting or doing whatever, dragging himself in in the morning, and then during the day he was too hung, up, hung over to go out and do anything with the talent that he had. He was working for himself. He resented the Lord, was kind of afraid of him, and he wasn't about to break his back for him. And I think this is the wicked part. Thou wicked and slothful servant. The slothful is easy. He was lazy. But this is the wicked part. Here was a servant of the Lord who was not interested in building the Lord's kingdom. Now all the servants understood that what they had been given was not theirs and was not to be used for themselves. And when the Lord came back, they, they brought to him their original goods and all the increase. They kept none of it for themselves. They apparently all expected to be accountable because he, when the Lord came back, even, even the third servant, he came to the Lord and said, well, here's, here's your, your, you know, there thou hast that is thine, he said, King James. So they seem to be expecting to give an account. And let's, let's, let's remind ourselves here that the commendation given to the first and second servant were identical. It had nothing to do with whether you had ten or whether you had two. Or four, I guess it was ten or four. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Was said to the one who had ten. The one who had four, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I think it's safe to assume that if this third servant had come back with only two, what do you think he would have heard? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the reward was exactly the same as well. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It's word for word. It had nothing to do with the amount that was given. It had everything to do with what was done with what was given. Now, if this interpretation of this parable is indeed accurate, or correct. What the first two servants did was they went out and got busy using their spiritual gifts. And in the process, they developed other spiritual gifts. 
Does that fit? They say that when you want something done, you want to get somebody that's already busy to do it. You've heard that, right? Is there some truth to that? Yes, there is. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, commends the Corinthians for their zealousness of spiritual gifts, but he directs them to gifts that will benefit the church, covet earnestly the best gifts, he says. And so if spiritual gifts fits into this parable, what these first two servants did is they used what they had and they developed more. And so they became even more useful in the kingdom. The busy, useful, gifted get more gifted. And sometimes we look around at each other and we notice people who are especially gifted and our hearts burn with jealousy. Maybe that was the third servant's problem. Maybe he was upset that he'd only got one. And so he decided to be a grouse and just do nothing with it. The busy gifted are not sitting on their haunches. They're sitting on the balls of their feet. The busy gifted are not stand by feet and they're in the zone by that are not by the cat call. Who's at the Now the busy gifted are busy. Using your spiritual gift takes a lot of time. I already talked about all the expectations that we face in our world today. And one of the reasons that I have a burden for it is because I think sometimes those expectations are crowding out the things that we could be doing for, for, for the, the growth of the, of the body. But when you get busier, some stuff has to give. Some stuff has to be gotten rid of. You don't have time anymore for stuff that's not use, useful. The busy gifted don't have time to carouse and party and waste time in harmful or even useless vices. They're much too concerned about the welfare of the kingdom. The busy gifted are not nibbling around at the world's candy. They're far more interested in fruit for the master. And I want to close with a couple of verses that we know well and probably all have memorized. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I, I, I find that verse one of the most sobering verses in the whole New Testament. But if my application of this parable is accurate, if we are not using our spiritual gifts, we are in danger of facing 
judgment for what we have chosen not to do. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 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 And another from 1 Corinthians 4, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then, then shall every man have praise of God. It is not about us. It is not about us. And it is not about being seen. And that's, that's what this verse refers to. It is not about something that is glamorous or flamboyant. It is about obedience to the Spirit. And the Spirit is always, always drawing attention to Jesus Christ. And when our lives do that, then God's kingdom will be built. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Let's close with, with that verse. Thank you for your attention this evening.